Okay, so we are in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the passage of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just at the beginning, and we're looking at another section of scripture starting that in Matthew 5 called the Beatitudes, and we've already looked at some of them today. Last week we left off on uh, the fourth Beatitude, which is, you know, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I, I just find that whole idea of hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you know, that's, that's an unusual thirst. How many of you actually hunger and thirst for that? I mean, I can understand hunger and thirsting for pizza and pop, right? I mean, I get that. And coffee and, yeah, we're all going, yeah, yeah. How many, how many of you are hungering for something right now? You know, and so I'm like, we, last night we did a hand raise. I'm not going to do that today. But, you know, people say, yeah. I'm always hungry for chocolate. There's always a good time for chocolate. And especially chocolate donuts. I just, just, in fact, now that I think, the more you think about something, the more want it. Let's just break right now. Let's go get donuts. It's like, okay, well, why don't I do that? Because I actually hunger for something better. And so sometimes our higher desires can match our lower desires. But what is this hungering and thirsting for righteous thing? That is a little unusual. And I can't say it's always been in my life. It's not, what does it look like? Do we wake up in the morning and go, oh, goody, I, I want to be good today. You know, and that lasts until I find out I'm out of coffee. And then it's like, oh, I find out there's other things I want as well. And, but what we discover is there are times we start hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but it usually starts with some specific area in our life of unrighteousness that's kicking our tail, that's just beating us up. It's out of control. And the consequences of that behavior is finally catching up with us. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, yeah, I, I kind of want to change in that area. And we find a, 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 a beginning of a desire to do something right. And it kind of begins that way. And so we, we start wanting to fix a specific hurt, hang-up, or habit in our lives. We don't start out wanting a whole life makeover. Okay, we don't start there. Uh, Jeff, your illustration is so good because this was in my message from last night. I usually start out just wanting to fix my leaky roof. You know, and it's just, I got this leaky roof, I want to fix it. So I go up there on my own to go fix my leaky roof and, and I make a discovery that, excuse me, that my leaky roof is leaking because the roof is sagging and I'm missing support beams underneath to hold the roof up and that's why the roof was leaking to begin with. And so, oh man, this is a bigger project than I realized. And so I start, okay, I need support beams. And already that's kind of out of my bandwidth right there. I go, gee. Then I discover you can't just put support beams in the house on a floor. There's got to be footings underneath the floor to hold up the support beams. And so, oh man. And pretty. And I, what I discover is to fix one thing in my life, I have to fix other things in my life. Have any of you ever experienced that? And pretty soon, I'm way over my head, and, uh, and I cry out, I need help on this. I need help. And I find, you know, I discover that I really do need a whole life makeover. I need a, I need a major renovation. It's a package deal. I need help. There's this one home improvement program Lisa gets me on every once in a while, and uh, it's where people try to renovate their own houses, and they screw it up. And have you ever seen that one? It's hilarious. They're, and, and so they, they finally mess up so bad, they call in someone who knows how to do it right. And that's my life. 
You know, I've, I've, I've tried to fix my life. I've screwed it up enough. So you call in someone who actually knows what they're doing, and I call Jesus. Right? Because he knows what he's doing. I trust him. He's going to rebuild my life. And when he rebuilds a house, he rebuilds it right. Okay? But we have a hard time with this. We fight him on this. Because I just asked Jesus, Jesus, can you fix my roof? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But Doug, we're going to have to put in support beams and we're going to have to look at the foundation. I go, really? Can't we just put another layer of roofing on top and call it good? And, you know, that's how we think. That's how we think. We are, our problem is we think of righteousness in terms of following rules, the do's and don'ts. Uh, we think in terms of good enough. That's, that's our, you know, good enough. And we figure if we follow enough of the rules, we're good enough. And there's two problems with this, especially when you look at the rules in the Old Testament. First off, no one has ever kept the rules in the Old Testament. No one's ever done it. In fact, in Romans 3.23, it says, for all has sinned. All have fallen short and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's messed up. So even if you wanted to have righteousness by doing the rules, you, each and every one of us has already screwed that up. That ship has sailed. But the other problem is this. Even if you were to keep all the rules of the Old Testament, you still would not be righteous. Doing the rules, doing the do's and don'ts, doesn't make you righteous. I liken the laws of the Old Testament. It's kind of like a connect-the-dot picture. How many of you have ever done a connect-the-dot picture? The rules are just the dots, not the picture. And you can actually connect the dots in a way that you don't even get the picture. We can get the dots and not have the picture, and God doesn't want dots. He wants the picture. And when you go to the New Testament, you find out the picture is Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. If you want to be truly righteous, you've got to be like Jesus Christ. That's why later on in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, you've heard the Old Testament law say you shall not murder, but I tell you, don't even get angry. So that's like Jesus. Jesus says, you've heard the Old Testament law say don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust. Oh boy. Uh, back in Jesus' day, there was this group of people known as the Pharisees, and they were meticulous about keeping the Old Testament commands. And they, man, they did it. They were fastidious, and people looked up to these guys as righteous and holy. They were, they were considered the righteous people of their day. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whatever righteousness is, it's way past what the Old Testament teaches. Jesus is pointing, to us, pointing us to a greater righteousness. And I'm sure the people of that day were shaking their heads. Well, who can be righteous? And we do the same thing. Well, the answer is no one. You and I can't be righteous, at least on our own. And so we turn our life, the renovation project, over to Jesus, who can help us get the job done. And he hands us the new blueprints in the New Testament. And we see what Jesus looks like. And he says, this is what it's going to look like when we're all done. Are you up for that? And uh, we struggle with it. And at this point, a, a miracle happens. As you begin to look at the blueprints, a desire, a hunger, a thirst actually starts growing in our lives to be like Jesus. 
I don't know if you've experienced that. And sometimes it's not so much to be like Jesus as it is to please him, to make him happy. You know, he's there, and he's like, man, I'd sure like to make him happy. And it starts growing. And, uh, but I don't want you to get the idea that all of a sudden we become like Jesus overnight with a wave of a magic wand. It's a renovation. It doesn't happen in a day. It's about progress, not perfection. And so we begin growing into this. I start with a kind of a, a small desire to be like Jesus, and it's got a long ways to go before I really get somewhere. One way I like to describe the process that we're going through in this hunger and thirsting for righteousness thing is I use a concept I call rubber band righteousness. And Brad, come up here. We're going to show them what rubber band righteousness looks like. This is my rubber band. You stand there. Okay. Brad is going to represent my old, natural, sinful, unrighteous, miserable self. <laughs> he really is a good guy, but he's okay. That's just, Brad's just the old, my way I used to be. And so I, I accept Jesus, and I, I realize I want to become like him. And I, I have, but I have to make some discoveries about what real righteousness is about. And so I see what I used to be, and I see what God wants me to be. And so I start going this direction. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of tension in my life. I'm just feeling this power, this force, this, it's, it's pulling me back and I'm trying to be like Jesus and all of a sudden I can't take it anymore. My old nature just brings me back. And I go to church and I repent in tears. Oh, I'm miserable. And I really beat myself up with shame and guilt. Okay, I'm going to try it again. Okay, I'm going to make it this time. I'm going to make it this time. We can go through this for years until, you know, we realize something has to change. And this is where, okay, Jesus, tell me what to do. And so he gives me a desire to try again. And, uh, and so I come out here and says, okay, put it out. And so I have the hunger. Now, where's the point that's pulling me back? And that point... And, and we got many of these, by the way. This is just one attachment. We have things called attachments to the world. It's an attachment. It's one thing that's pulling me back. Any desire in my life that keeps me from doing God's will is an evil desire. It's a temptation. The Bible calls it a temptation. And in fact, that's what it says. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. And so when we're doing this, we feel the point of pressure, and that's exactly where we need to bring God into this picture. I gotta stop doing this on my own. I gotta stop right there and go, okay, God, what do I do now? And this is where we can apply a little formula. I mean, hang on, this is a we can apply a little formula that's right here in the Beatitudes. I have to first stop and say, I have to be poor in spirit. God, I can't break this on my own. I have to finally stop doing this on my own. I have to stop. I feel it. I can't, I can't change it. I can't fix it. I need your help, God. But then the second thing is I need your help, God. I mourn. I bring the temptation, the problem, the pain to God. I say, God, I'm coming to you. I cry to you. I'm mourning. I'm, I'm struggling with this. Help me. So I'm mourning. And then I become meek. And meek is humility before God. That is the point of surrender. And this is a miraculous thing if once you learn how to do it, you take the temptation, whatever you're going through, 
And instead of fighting it, you stop, you go to God, say, God, I surrender this to you. I give this to you. I give my right desire this thing. I give up this attachment to you. I give up all the crazy thinking that tells me I should do this and I have the right to do it. I give it all up to you. I give myself up to you. I surrender. And you know what happens? A little miracle happens right then and there. I'm pushing out and all of a sudden, I'm free. Not for very long, but I'm free. I have a moment, a long moment actually, to make another choice. To do something different than I did before. To do something that's going to take me further toward God. And that brings us right to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I still have hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so I go to God and I, after I'm free, a little bit, I go like this and say, all right, Lord, what's next? And I look for the, what, I, what many people call the next right thing. What's the next right thing I need to do in this moment? And at that moment of freedom, it's imperative that we find some way to connect with God. And God will usually guide you to what that is. It might be just prayer. It might be uh, reading your Bible. But lots of times it's connecting with people. It might be you know, making a, a phone call to one of your you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. It might be... Uh, it could be many things. Reading a book, okay? Watching, you know, a sermon online. It might be helping someone in a service, acting, doing a good deed for someone, mowing someone's yard. It may be about as simple as, you know, hiking or, or going for a walk. But there's all these, it could be a whole myriad of things. But you stop and you go, God, what next? And you listen for his leading on what to do to connect you to Jesus, to God. And what you're going to find is, you're, in that moment, you're free, and you go a little bit further toward God. Now, if, and, and we do that with every temptation. Now, if you're dealing with a hardcore addiction, you may have to do that several times a day. If you're dealing, you know, with a severe emotional problem or fear, or, you may have to do that several times a day. But as we do that, we have to do it less and less. We become free from that particular attachment. And the farther we go, we find out, oh, there's deeper attachments yet. That was just the roof. <laughs> there's foundational things I still have to deal with. But that's the process, and it's really quite miraculous. And, and that's how many people experience it. That's how I experience it. And it's, and it's a miraculous thing because it's right here in the Beatitudes. Okay? But there's more. There is more. Jesus goes on in the Beatitudes. And uh, this is what he says. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is important. We talk about attachments that keep us connected to the world. This is huge. This beatitude single-handedly forces us to deal with one of the greatest temptations. Attachments, evil desires, whatever you want to call it, in our hearts. And we all struggle with it. And it's the sin of judgmentalism and of unforgiveness. And if anything will take you back the other way, it's that. You can only go so far before those sins suck you back in. And uh, whenever I find myself being critical or judgmental of someone else, there's a sin issue surfacing in my life. And I got to tell you, it's hard to get your eyes off the other person and realize there's an issue in me that I have to deal with. And I'm not talking about loving correction when someone needs to be corrected and loving. I'm talking about that thing inside us that drives us to make negative, you know, spine fault. 
and to make negative comments to the people around us that are totally unhelpful. They don't help them or anybody else. It's just unmerciful. And it's also that thing inside us that holds on to wrongs and hurts done to us. You know, someone's wronged us or hurt us in sometimes a really serious way, and we just can't let it go. Attachment. And it keeps us from going to God. It just doesn't work that way. And we relive, we relive the wrong over and over again. It becomes a fixture in our hearts, the grudge, the resentment. It's an idol. We almost develop a love relationship with it. And again, it's just the same kind of attachment. And we do the very same thing. Poor in spirit, I can't handle this job. Take it to God. Surrender it. Next right thing. God commits you. When I'm judging, when I'm unforgiving, I'm not poor in spirit. I'm not mourning. I'm not being meek. And I'm certainly not seeking God's righteousness. And God, you know, it kills our relationship with God. It kills our relationship not only with the other person we're resentful toward, but with all other people. You realize unforgiveness poisons all our relationships, not just the person we're you know, struggling with. But ultimately it kills me. Like they say, unforgiveness is the poison we drink, hoping that the other person will die. And we die. It's killing us. That's a core issue. And this is where we not only have to forgive and give mercy, it's where we need to receive mercy. Because here's the command. You know, Blessed are the merciful, so they shall receive mercy. What we read in the New Testament is before we forgive, we need to be forgiven. And that's the whole point. That's what's really cool about the good news, is that we don't forgive first, he forgives us first. And as we seek God's righteousness, we find out that God's righteousness is all about mercy. In fact, God says this in Hosea 6.6, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That's true righteousness in Matthew 12. He says, if you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned, judged, criticized the innocent. You just keep your eyes on yourself. And in Matthew 19, 13, it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. The really sad thing is when we judge and criticize others, we're judging the very people God loves and wants to win to him. And it becomes a barrier not only to God, but for us reaching the lost. The key to this whole thing is not giving mercy, but receiving mercy. And uh, accepting the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ. And because I've been forgiven, I can forgive. When I come to grips with my own sinfulness and my own attachments and how many times I've failed, it kind of makes me more able and willing to forgive others because I know they're in the same same trap, same enslavement that I have struggled with in the past and I struggle with now. All the Beatitudes push us to live under God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it's what God offers each and every one of us in Christ. And that is the gospel, isn't it? He sent his son Jesus so that we might live in freedom, the freedom that comes from God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And so my question to you today is, if, have you received, have you accepted Christ and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy that comes from him. Have you? Or maybe another question. Have you received Jesus and his grace and mercy and forgiveness today? Because it's a renovation project. One day at a time, we progress. Amen?
Let's all be standing for a closing word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your patient, loving care for us. We thank you that you are doing a work in our lives. It's not us, but it's you. And help us to trust you and follow your lead in, the, in this building project of our lives. And as we progress, may we experience joy and humble gratitude as we see you know, miracles in our lives, as we handle situations and people in a new way that we never would have before. And so we just pray for this righteousness. We yearn for this righteousness that is only ours through your grace, mercy, and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right.